A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Lorehounds One-Shots. We're the Lorehounds, your guides to the best falafel shop in the universe. I'm John. And I'm Marilyn. And this is our coverage of the Peacock original series, Mrs. Davis. In this podcast, we'll be discussing the full limited series, including themes, favorite moments, and more. Be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast for programming notes about our podcasting schedule for the rest of June. Quick housekeeping for early and ad-free access to our episodes and exclusive content, visit patreon.com slash the lorehounds. We're doing a hundred member drive for our one year anniversary. Uh, we've got a special sticker, which I know Marilyn helped us design, uh, that's going to go out to patrons and we're excited to share that. We'll be talking more about that in the outro though. Uh, if you're enjoying, enjoying our content and Patreon doesn't work for you, but you still want to support us, please head on to Apple podcasts, give us a review. Uh, and a rating, and that really helps us uh, move up the rankings. Like Mrs. Davis, we appreciate user feedback. The Lorehounds one-shots are standalone episodes, so we won't be able to respond to your feedback about Mrs. Davis on air, but please feel free to write in to share your thoughts with us. Send emails to lorehounds at thelorehounds.com or head to our website and either use the voicemail feature or the contact form. You can also post a message on our Discord server, and we can include those as well. Check out that link in the show notes if you want to join the conversation. Marilyn, first of all, John. you are a, a regular contributor to this network at this point. Uh, you've been on our Earthsea, you, you've been leading it with us, our Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin series. You've done a lot of Tolkien with us, of course. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about who you are for anybody who just happens to be into the pop culture TV stuff and hasn't listened to th those things? Sure. I am a librarian emeritus from Colby College, where for 35 years I taught courses on J.R.R. Tolkien, on... Uh, Harry Potter, on the women myth fairy tale, and on the religion of contemporary witchcraft. I retired a couple of years ago. I'm currently really reveling in the world of podcasting and finding all kinds of <laughs> interesting things to do here. I'm also a member of the um, uh, Tolkien Society International Organization, and I'll be giving a paper at Oxenmoot, which is their annual meeting in Oxford. Yes, congratulations. Uh, year, you just heard back about exciting. that recently, right? I, I just heard back that the paper was accepted. Um, yeah, I guess that's enough of the basics. Yeah. Well, Marilyn, you always br provide brilliant 
uh, insights to everything that we talk about. And <laughs> you were just telling us we have to podcast about Mrs. Davis the whole season. David never caught up. I did catch up and I loved it. So here's you and me. Since David can't be with us, he 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 never got hooked on the app. He never got hooked on the Mrs. Davis app. He's free of it. What'd you think? What'd you think about the show overall? Oh, I was I was just so impressed. I I thought it was a little bizarre. This, actually, my partner was the one who suggested we watch, and I said, "Okay, sure, I'll try." The first episode, I was like, "What is this? What is going on?" And I kept watching, and just kept getting better and better. There. The number of tropes and familiar concepts that they draw upon is fantastic. It's weird, it's wacky, and it has the most incredibly important themes that they're yeah. working with. And I think one of the things that really helps it succeed is that the actors all play it absolutely uh, sincerely. Yes. There's there's yeah, no sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's earnest. They really believe in what they're doing. And that just helps it succeed so well. That's a great point, Marilyn, because I think that the show has sort of a tongue-in-cheek tone sometimes. The mm. the production, you know, it's got the the funny uh, transitions. It's got, you know, a lot of wacky plots, but the characters are very earnest and very honest, and you, you feel for them in these absurd situations. Yes, they believe in what it is. They believe in what they're doing. And right. both as actors and as characters. And that really helps it come together. The construction of the plot lines, so tight, just really, really wonderful. And I think the fact that it was two people who wrote the entire series all the way through makes an enormous difference because that right. keeps the consistency. It coheres better. And my gosh, the complications of it all, you really couldn't be passing this back and forth between multiple writers. It had yes. to be. Yeah, a completely written story, I think, for it all to make sense. And it does make sense if any listeners are only partway through the series it at does. this point. Don't worry. It will all make sense in the end. Yes. They do keep you on your toes with a lot of those twists and turns. Uh, something that I really loved about it was just how, you know, we I've complained about mystery box shows till the cows mm. come home. But this show is sort of mystery box after mystery box. And there is almost kind of one sort of big mystery box, but it almost kind of doesn't matter. Like, will she, will she shut down Mrs. Davis? I almost felt mm -hmm. like that was secondary to the show. I think that the show was way more about relationships and yes. conflict and, and what it means to be true to yourself, what it means to like, like, I know we're going to talk about the themes that you, you have, you brought in, <laughs> but who do you trust? Who do you put your faith in? That's, that's the first thing that we're going to talk about later that you brought in. And mm -hmm. that, that to me is such a fascinating thing because you have this weird plot that has actual Jesus Christ in it. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the show is telling us that in this universe, Jesus Christ is a real person who is mm -hmm. in some kind of, and we're going uh, full spoilers here, by the way, guys, full spoilers. Yeah. Do not go further. If you are, uh, if you are not caught up on the show, you're in the show where Jesus Christ is a real entity in the universe trapped in purgatory. And you have the, um, the AI, which is something that's also, you know, something that does not exist here. You know, this is something that you cannot, you cannot have an AI, the level of, what is in Mrs. Davis 
today. I mean, we might get there, but that's not something that happens. And people are putting their faith in that. And then people are putting their faith in themselves. Uh, a lot of questions about like, if you, if you don't know, if you don't have the relationship Simone has with Jay, do you have the same kind of relationship with Jay? And uh, it's just so many fascinating. It's almost like a kaleidoscope of of relationships. You know, you take you take a relationship like a mother daughter relationship, and you just keep turning <laughs> it in a kaleidoscope until you get all the angles of it. Three and four and five different mother child relationships, right? Because they're, right. they're scattered throughout like grains of sand. And I really appreciated the fact that they took not just Sister Simone's faith, but the faith of her fellow sisters and the Mother Superior, absolutely seriously. Yes. I saw no mockery. I saw no, again, sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And I really appreciated that because I think it's unusual to find that nowadays in a TV series. I think think it's becoming more balanced. I think it's, I think as sort of religions become more diverse and the diversity of things like Christianity, you know, Christianity has always been diverse. It's always been a big umbrella religion, but, but I think that in the U S especially there's been sort of a, a backlash to the backlash (laughs) where, (laughs) where now you have more open groups sort of making themselves louder and more prominent. And I think that people are starting to distinguish more political entities within religion from the religion itself. And I think it's becoming a much more healthy discourse when we talk about things like faith and religion. Yeah, it was interesting to see some of the the comments. I poked around a little bit early on just to see what people were saying about it. And there were an awful lot of people who said, this is, you know, this is outrageous. This is heretical. You know, this is a yeah, nation and yeah. we're not going to do this. Unfortunately, I think they didn't know anything about the very strong medieval history of what we would call bridal mystics. Hmm. And we have Catherine of Siena in the 1300s in Italy, and we have Teresa of Avila in the 1500s in Spain. These visceral experiences of a union with Christ are throughout history in, in Catholicism. Okay. And so this was an, a remarkable representation in 21st century terms of what that might have been like. Wow. And I just I thought had no it was idea. fascinating. Yeah, well, exactly. That's that's my point. There's so much in this that if you don't know about it, you, there's just so much that goes over. Bob kept telling me about um, different things from the whole world of prestidigitation because his youngest brother <laughs> is a professional magic user in that. Sense. Okay. And so there were re- references like we heard a lot about the Force, and that's not Star Wars. That is a term in magical practitioners. Okay. Where you think you're choosing something freely, but in fact you've been carefully steered to choose huh. just the one thing that you're supposed to choose. Sounds like the Jedi Force to me. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but you don't have to have that knowledge to enjoy the show. I think right. it's, you know, I think that the whole bridal mystics thing is useful because otherwise, I don't know how you interpret Simone's experience of Jay. Um, right. But. With that background, and also with the understanding of what it is to be a contemplative, and to have a connection in that way. I'm a Quaker, so that's kind of part of, of our, our religious practice and our experience. Um, I was perfectly comfortable, and in fact, those were some of my favorite things about the whole series. And for people who don't have any of that background, you know, it was probably kind of weird and wacky. And that's fine, because they're also being weird and wacky. So. 
Right. For me, the weird and wacky were, were the guys in the basement breaking their burner phones and, and you sure. know, sure. overcome as a state. And the sword thing. And yeah, there's plenty of wacky if you want it. There's <laughs> all kinds of wacky. <laughs> yes. A, a poor whale swinging around her migratory patterns <laughs> with the Holy Grail in her belly for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. Well, I think we've given enough general thoughts. We've already gone deeper than the surface. So uh, <laughs> let's give a quick synopsis of the series, and then we'll get into some more general production details. So in 2023, the world is run by a personal assistant artificial intelligence algorithm commonly known as Mrs. Davis, in America at least. Simone, a nun with a vendetta against Mrs. Davis, and a psychic marriage to Jesus Christ, is sent on a quest to destroy the Holy Grail for the algorithm. In exchange, Mrs. Davis agrees to shut down permanently. Throughout the series, Simone allies with a former partner named Wiley, who struggles with courage, a scientist intent on destroying the Grail named Arthur Schrodinger, her mother, the Pope, and Jesus. Simone unravels a mystery around the grail and discovers that Jesus has been trapped in a falafel-filled purgatory because of Mary's creation of the grail. By the end of the series, Wiley discovers his courage, Simone destroys the grail to free her husband, and Mrs. Davis shuts down, leaving the world in chaos. That was an insane thing to read aloud. <laughs> it must have been insane to pull together, too. I think you did a fabulous job. Well, thank you. It's uh, It was quite a summary to put together, as you said, because just listing the people who helped her, you know, Schrodinger, the, her, her former lover who is obsessed with bulls and riding them, uh, the, <laughs> her mother, Jesus, Mary, you know, every, everybody's involved with this. It's, it's just, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, the show had everything. I kept saying to David, like, I don't even know how to pitch the show to you without spoiling everything because yeah. the show is about everything. It's about like the human experience mm-hmm. and it uses wackiness and absurdity to sort of, I think, throw you off your guard and ready to accept greater themes about human experiences. That's an excellent point. It really does get under your guard in that sense. And, and um, unless you're very cautious, you're going to find yourself very moved more than once. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I would say by by episode two or three, it had twisted enough and turned enough where I said, I'm going to stop trying to predict where the show is going <laughs> and I'm just going to enjoy it. Yeah, no, enjoying the ride is, is really an important thing. It's fun to make guesses with, with yeah. you know, mystery yeah. box shows. And sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm really thrilled when I actually figure one out. I, I figured out who Jay was by the end of the first episode okay or the beginning of the second because of you know again because bride of christ and that's still what happens with with um nuns today when they take vows they vow as they they right take their final vows in right. a wedding gown because they are do- undergoing a marriage to christ so um i was familiar with all those kind of overtones um but there are a whole other sways of things that i'm sure i never did get and stuff that I wouldn't have gotten if I hadn't been watching it with somebody else who did know some of those things. So, Right. You know, we've already pretty much touched on all the general sort of macro uh, meta, David likes to say, the meta details, the <laughs> meta context of what's going on here. You know, the structure of the show, the wacky quick cuts, the big word art with the transitions, you know, again, throwing you off your guard and sort of the 
the plot elements being absurdity after absurdity, like somebody's head just explodes randomly. <laughs> you know, you have uh, the the whale, the hyper masculine lair where everyone's just like, oh, bro, we have to get rid of Mrs. Davis. <laughs> the the horse hole, which uh, thankfully, yes. thankfully, <laughs> the horse survived. But yes, yes. The roller coaster, uh, even even just having Jesus and Mary in purgatory all of a sudden, you know, the boss. And I did like the subversion of it's not yes. the, God the Father, it's Mary. Uh, I forgot to listen very carefully. I believe that Jay never does use gender when talking about the boss. No, Simone I don't think so either. Simone assumes that the boss just says the boss. God the Father, right. Right. Which I thought was another very clever detail. Although it also leaves the question dangling, well where is God in all of this? Right. Right. And, and yeah, a devout yeah. Christian would say, well, God is there in the person of Jesus Christ, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But, um, a awful lot of devout Christians would have headed to the exit a long time before that anyway. Yes. <laughs> so. I, I don't think that there's any, um, I don't think a fundamentalist is going to enjoy this show. Let's just say I, that. <laughs> I agree with you on that one. Um, absolutely. No, no. Uh, but anyway, you had an interview with Betty Gilpin. Oh, I and, didn't interview myself, of course. Well, I know you didn't <laughs> I found her, but it. You, I looked it up. <laughs> you, you saw an interview, you listened to an interview, and you were kind of struck by some things. Can you talk about that a bit? Yes, yeah, sure. I, I found it fascinating uh, when she said that one of the concepts that undergirded this whole thing was that people nowadays, many people will use both faith and the internet, or I might say either faith or the internet, as wish fulfillment centers rather than as places to learn big things. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I definitely see that. I mean, I do, in, in the question you mentioned at the beginning, you know, who or what do you put your faith in, literal or otherwise? That's fascinating. It's sort of the, the difference between the prosperity gospel and, yes. uh, you know, other, other forms of Christianity or Judaism. Judaism is big on, you know, working your way through the text, working your way through the mm -hmm. theological problems, you know, mm -hmm. Midrash and Midrash, Mishnah yeah. and, and yeah, going, yeah, yeah. going through the process of sort of trying to work towards the truth. And, and the great thing about that, and I think this has a lot in common with this show is it's, it's more about the journey than the destination, right? You're not really looking for sure. a, this is the exact correct answer. You're looking to discover things about yourself, about the universe, about God, if you're religious, uh, you know, through this process, through this process mm -hmm. of, of iteration over iteration of reading the same passage and looking at it through a different angle of the kaleidoscope, a different mm -hmm. turn of it. So what else, do you have anything else from the uh, interview? Yes. Yes. The, um, she says that the show presented serious messages in wacky guises. And she used two examples, Looney Tunes, Shakespeare, or, and this one is really fun. Wiley Coyote Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah, and Wiley's well, in there. And Wiley's in there. And it's in, you know, the, the Western landscape in which Wiley Coyote flourished. And Hamlet certainly did a lot of brooding and reflecting and... Sure did. Cognitive dis... You That's know. the whole play. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, misinterpretation of what he saw. Right. All the rest of it. And then she finishes with a question saying, is AI our savior or our downfall? And this is what absolutely astounded me. Chat GPT wasn't even a thing when we were filming. Yeah, 
That's pretty crazy to think about. It's just bizarre. Yeah, things have been moving quickly. You know, it's it's funny. I mean, AI has been the hot topic lately because everybody's now that ChatGPT came out. Now Google's got an AI, Bing's got an AI, everybody's got an AI that they want to sell you. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't have timed this better, and it was clearly an accident. And that is yes. insane to me. Yes, yes. Talk about unexpected blessings. Yeah. And the thing that I loved about the way the AI was presented was that encoded in the beginning was indigenous practices of care and concern. And that's all I have from the Betty Gilpin interview. Very cool. Uh, Betty Gilpin seems like a fascinating, fascinating character over there with this plot. Definitely. And I think she's also a fascinating actor. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know much about her previous work, but um, it sh- it, the show really hung on her. And uh, she carried that Definitely. gracefully and, and seemingly effortlessly, though I'm sure it was anything but effortless. Yeah, I mean, she had to play so many different sides of this character. You know, the, the cold person with Wiley when she's trying to keep him at a distance or with her mom. The Even with her mom, sometimes like the hurt teenager, almost. You know, oh, she had to act like that. Uh, with Jay, she had to be, you know, the, the wife, the really loving wife and very open. She had to be very calm, cool, collected when she's, you know, being the the rescuer of the guy being scammed by mu- magicians and, uh, <laughs> you know, just everything. She had to do everything. Uh, she's she's had to freak out at points. She had to keep her cool. It, I just what a range. What a range, I guess, is my point. Exactly. Exactly. So why don't we get into some of these themes that you put together, Marilyn? Sure. The first one you had was. Who or what do you trust? Who do you put your faith in, literal or otherwise? Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that? Well, it just seemed to me the juxtaposition of Sister Simone and Wiley and his group. I mean, she had her group of faith, her Mm -hmm. sisters, the mother superior. He had his group of faith, you know, the bros, the guys who are going to take down with their super secret technology scanning thing. And in a sense, I kind of wonder, well, at the end of the day, how different is that from the invasion of of Mrs. Davis into daily lives? Because they're doing all kinds of illegal surveying and getting passports magically and, and, you know, looking at CBTV scans to find the priest. I mean, it's, you know, it's that it's a surveillance culture in a sense, right? combined with the sort of Rambo stuff going on. And, and, Again, the actor who played JQ, fabulous. So funny. He's Drawing also in Silicon him. Valley. He oh, okay. plays another very absurd character. He's I think that he's getting typecast as that now is I'm gonna be the absurd guy. Well, he does a good <laughs> job of it. Yeah, he does. <laughs> and so the question is, do you put your faith in anyone or anything? And if you do, who who or what do you choose and why? Right. Because it's virtually impossible to live without trusting someone or something, however untrusted you are. Right. I mean, you think of the scene of Wiley in jail with the Pope in the other cell across the hall. Um, he just simply refused to believe that any of it was true, and it was all a scam, and eventually the walls are going to fall away. And, and, and you know, people can go through their lives with that kind of an attitude towards everything, and it's just not going to serve you in the end. Right. But right. so many people have been um, 
their trust has been broken. I mean, you know, you're a young girl and you get shot through the liver by your mother. <laughs> right. And your father scams people for a living, right? I mean, and your father I know he's just doing tricks, but yeah, I mean, he's scamming people, right? She knows what's behind the curtain. She's part of the trick. And I think that she must have learned skepticism at an early age because of that, which is mm. what makes her adult devotion to the church surprising when you don't know what's going on. Well, but you see, that's the thing. She does know what's going on because of the way they present her experience, her mystical, right. contemplative bride right. of Christ experience. Well, I, I and mean, it was nothing from, she sought. Right. I mean, people on the happened. outside, people on the outside of her sure. life sure. are going to be sure. like, how did this skeptic suddenly literally come to Jesus, right? Literally come to Jesus and just become mm -hmm. devout, change your name, move into a combat, completely secluded, shut herself off from the world. What happened? Well, as she says herself, when she talks to the Mother Superior for the very first time, can you marry me to Jesus? And Mother says, well, you know, what's your faith? And she said, well, we didn't do religion. And the, and the Mother says, no, no, no. What do you believe? Right. And so she talks about how she prayed really hard for someone she loved, and suddenly she was face-to-face -face with Jesus. And then she says, I know it's crazy, but it's true. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of the core of it right there. There wasn't anybody there trying to fake her out. Right. She was simply doing what, as she said, what millions of people throughout the ages have done. Faced with a crisis, she prayed really hard without knowing who or what she was praying to. She just said, oh, please help. Right. And she was answered. Right. And it's up for each person who has that kind of experience to decide what it means to them. Right. And it would be uh, up to the bishop to decide how they're going to get her through the sacraments faster if this were real life. There, that would not have been a, oh, no, you didn't grow up Catholic, it's fine. <laughs> right. Well, yes, sir, there, was, there okay. would be a lot, of, a lot of stuff to take. And I think you see that in the Mother Superior in some respects, you know, in her initial, her initial view is that she literally says, okay, now go away. <laughs> right. You know, spend the weekend here, see if you like the other sisters, we're going to have a volleyball tournament or whatever, no, baseball, right. softball tournament. But the relationship that they develop is precious. And of course, the obvious analogy is this is the mother she never had. Right. I love the line when they're in the chapel together and Celeste shows up and um, the mother superior says, hello, I'm Margaret. I'm Simone's mother superior. And Celeste says, hello, I'm Celeste, Simone's mother inferior. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that could encapsulate the whole range of the mother-daughter experiences throughout the yeah. whole podcast. I mean, podcast, right. um, television series. So I feel like the mother-daughter, the parent-child theme that you've also brought in is sort of linked to this, right? Because <laughs> yes. do you have faith in your parent? Do you have faith in your mother, your father? Clearly, Simone didn't have faith in her father or her mother. Uh, you know, her father was a, a scammer from early on. Her mother shot her with a bow and then never apologized. And I mean, not, you know, we don't talk enough about this, but like having parents who won't apologize to their children is very hurtful to the children. It sure and is. I really think that they were making a point with that here. I agree. And when you consider all the mothers that appear, we've got Celeste, we've got Mrs. Davis, who is known as Mum mm -hmm, in, in, right. in the UK, we have Mary. We have the Mother Superior, 
We have Mathilde, who is certainly cut out of Celeste's cloth in terms of quality of being a mother. We even have a mother whale (laughs) who's responding to the cries of a a baby whale. So, but what's interesting is the mothers appear to have all the power in most situations. Yes. And and one question I would ask is, is this because we give it to them? Right. But it's a very different kind of a scenario about mothers and, and children, and particularly daughters. We know almost nothing about Wiley's parents, interestingly enough. Except that they were rich. That's Except all we that know. Except that they were rich. It almost feels like a plot device, honestly. It's not, it doesn't really add anything. Well, yeah. It's, yeah. 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 Um, and it, it kind of is all summed up on the, by the quote that's on Margaret Mother Superior's mug, which is, because I'm the mom, that's why. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Uh, Celeste shares something else with Matilda, which is Celeste was in denial forever (laughs) that her husband was dead. Matilda was in denial forever that her daughter was dead. Yeah. They constantly would rather think that they are being scammed by someone that they love, that they're being fooled by someone that they love and betrayed. Mm-hmm. then believe that that person is gone and they had a better relationship. Yeah, and it's an interesting juxtaposition, isn't it? You yeah. can love someone who you absolutely do not trust. Yeah. But also, it's it's easier to be angry than feel grief, right? Definitely. Anger is definitely a shield for It's for less painful. More, more tender feelings. You see that with even Simone when she talks about Mrs. Davis. You know, she's angry with Mrs. Davis for killing her dad. Mrs. Davis didn't kill her dad, and I think Simone knows that from the beginning. Right? I'm trying to remember. I think that Mrs. Davis initially told her she was responsible for her father's death. I mean, About midway through the season, I think. Yeah, yeah. Initially, it was, you know, she blamed Mrs. Davis because Monty said Mrs. Davis had killed Magic, and and so that was sort of an indirect responsibility there. But. In the end, Monty actually goes to Mrs. Davis right, and says, help me do this trick. Right. And ultimately, it wasn't Mrs. Davis who was responsible for Monty's death. It was Celeste. Right. Which is a real irony. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, pretty crazy, too, that she did smell him. That, that was a great twist, too. Yes, yes. Well, I've, I've known at least one other person who, who had a very strong sense of smell and could actually... Uh, detect when her husband or her child were coming down with illness because their smell would change. Wow. So That's crazy. It, it could be a thing. It could be a thing. Not everybody has it and probably just as well, but uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, for sure. So this whole idea of mothers and children, you know, I don't think that there's a perfect mother in any of these, even, you know, Mary who, and again, this is going to be cause for some people calling sacrilege, even Mary here preserved Jesus in purgatory, basically. That's what it seems like, right? It's a purgatory. Yeah. That's how I interpret it. She, whether she knew this is going to happen at the time or not. I mean, she, she says she, she was angry when she created the Holy Grail out of Jesus' skull. Right. And, and that again, seems anger. to be a huge piece of, you know, do, are you working out of anger or out of grief? Well, the grief was there, too, obviously. That it had to right. be. I'm not right. sure that she understood that this would be the consequence. Right. Um, but, 
yeah, it was, she was thinking of herself. And that seems to be another theme, you know, again, for the destruction of the grail, you have to do it selflessly. And Simone is doing it in order to just, you know, for the whole Mrs. Davis thing. But by the end of the series, she's doing it for the sake of her beloved husband. Right. Who she will never see again in the ways that she has been interacting and seeing with him up to this point. And so that's the selfless piece. Now, I found it interesting how the first time we saw someone sit from the grail and then their head exploded, the signs that things were going bad was when she started to bleed from her nose. In that amazing scene where Simone sips from it, she starts to bleed from the nose and everybody goes, oh, no. I'm wondering if that was that one little bit of self-interest. Maybe. Maybe. Or they could have just been faking us out. But I I like your idea. Yeah. I like and, your and idea then here. The, and then, you know, the grail. I thought the scene in which the grail self-destructed was visually spectacular. It yes. was beautiful. It was lovely to behold. And all the different images, at one point there was this real swirly dark thing, and I thought, okay, that's Mary's anger, and that's, you know. I mean, one of the things that I really came to realize from this series is just how much human beings are meaning makers. Mm-hmm. You could present us with a series of events, and we will make connections, even when there are none. Right. Because that's what we do. We're meaning-making creatures. And so, that's a lot of what's behind all the myths that we have in the world. Right. And some people would say that's what's behind religious faith or spiritual faith, call it. Right. Um, you know, so. there's, you know, thinking about that, we, we've been talking about adding meaning and ton of biblical references throughout this whole <laughs> series, but, oh, yeah. uh, you know, forever. I'm thinking about the whale now, you know? Yes, yes. And what's the story of Jonah? Which, uh-huh. by the way, was a giant fish. It was not a whale. But right. we're going to ignore that because everybody thinks it's a whale. It's so a that's whale. why they picked a whale. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonah is the unwilling servant, right? Just mm-hmm. like Simone didn't really want to be doing this whole grail bid. She just wanted to destroy Mrs. Davis, right? right. She didn't really want to do the grail thing. Mm-hmm. And she comes out ready to do it, right? And she comes out, and afterwards is when she has that experience where she talks to Mary, and she realizes, no, I need to do this. Mm-hmm. And I really think that they're they're playing with that whole unwilling servant sort of is forced to do what they were reluctant to do. I absolutely agree. I, I just constantly thinking of Jonah yeah. throughout the whole time. And, my favorite uh, Torah story. Actually, it's oh, not really? in the Torah. My favorite Tanakh story. Well, I know J.R.R. Tolkien said that the, the book of Jonah was actually a very funny book. It is. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's yeah. hilarious. But uh, so. it's it's uh, what, one of my favorites. But yeah, it, it, there's just so much here. There's so much here, and it's almost like I don't know where to start. Well, and, and think about you know how it wound up there in the first place. It was Arthur Schrodinger. Right. Who you know, fed the grail to the whale so that it would keep traveling around, which was one of the things it had to do so that it wouldn't start right. to stink. And yet he also put a tracker on the whale. Right. Now that says to me, he didn't let go of it entirely. Right. Now it could be that he did that because he was hoping eventually he would figure out some way to destroy it, but then how is he going to get it back again? You know, well, you know, you go through all this stuff, you get the ship, right. you find a suit, you know, I mean, wah! Right. Talk and about of course the they're playing with Schrodinger's cat the whole time. Um, hello. You know, you have the, 
Well, he's got the cat, first of all. Right? Whose name is actually Apollo, but, you know, we, we tend to call <laughs> the cat Schrodinger, too. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, you've got this whole thing like, well, we haven't tried one thing with the with the grail. Yes. And uh, you have Clara, you know, like, oh, well, you know, if we don't do it, we'll never know if it works or not. Right. right? Which is, so- interestingly, some of the worst... Uh, scientific discoveries have come from that kind of logic. I oh, yeah? Go well, on. sure. I mean, well, I mean, I, I'm thinking of the atomic bomb. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there is such a thing as just because we can do a thing doesn't mean we should. Ah, I see what you're saying. I see what and you're saying. so, well, we could try this without right. any real thought as to possible consequences. But interestingly, I think that Arthur was probably the most successful father in the whole series. And he certainly didn't set out to be that, you know. The not whole, not as far as outcomes, I'll say that. <laughs> well, no, but just in terms of you know, he really didn't want Clara to take the risk. And right. you know, okay, well, let's do the volcano. We haven't tried that. Well, no, okay. So, and the whole rock paper scissors thing. I mean, to me, that was an example of how little Arthur understood other human beings. Um, that Clara would so obviously fake him out. She kept saying, "I'm going to do rock," and then of course he did paper and then she did scissors and you know because she wanted to be the one to to take the risk which implies to me also that she had developed some feeling for him right right yeah seeing the world as we expect to see it in cognitive bias let's talk about it sure wiley in the vatican prison is the most obvious example of that okay he has an explanation for everything that happens and it all centers around his core cognitive belief that there is a conspiracy theory out there to support mrs davis and they're terrified that his group is going to reveal them and so he's been trapped in this prison so that he will be forced to reveal the location and then the the prison walls will fall away and they'll be in yet another warehouse right right um well part of that is he's been doing the same thing to simone right exactly Exactly. I mean, he's describing uh, his own organization and how they would work. And so he's thinking how they would think, which is perfectly understandable. Most of us would do that. Right. And it's Macbeth, right? You've done evil. Now you can see it. And and, uh, there's that whole thing going on. Yeah. I wonder, though, if... No, I'm just thinking about this off the top of my head. Um, Simone was certainly well-versed in the techniques of distraction and now you see it, now you don't, and all the, the stuff right. that, that magic stage magicians use. She was expecting to see people duping and tricking right, and so forth, because that was what she had experienced. That, again, brings me back to this point of how could she possibly see love and trust in the abbess, in the community, in this personage, which had erupted into her life completely unexpectedly, when she thought she was going to marry Wiley and go off to Alaska. Right. So uh, that certainly I don't think would have been part of her worldview. No. But she certainly didn't expect it. So, I mean, that, you know, this other reality kind of breaking in is sort of an interesting thing to consider. And the fact that she was able to go with this new thing because she had it experientially. Right. 
Right. It wasn't anybody else telling it to her. It was, this was her experience and it was real to her. And, you know, how do we define reality? Right. But Simone does sort of fall into this cognitive bias, I think, with Mrs. Davis, mm-hmm. where she wants her to be the villain. So everything she does, she sees a twist on it. She mm-hmm. sees how Mrs. Davis is actually screwing everybody over. Even mm-hmm. at the end, I think Simone almost realizes that it, the world might be better with Mrs. Davis in it, but she still goes forward with turning her off. Yes. Well, she certainly has people who she trusts telling her. Yeah. In the end, it's, you know, it's, it's the words of the, of the mother superior who says, you know, she sends string quartets to play outside the windows of, of recently widowed people. Or and the, uh, the windmill, right? That was a big moment. I thought. The windmill was really, really amazing. But the thing that she says, this is when um, Celeste is proxying for Mrs. Davis to uh-huh. Simone, which is rich. I mean, right. talk about layers right. of meaning. And Simone says, I realized that you wanted approval from your mother, which is why some of the subroutines kept spewing out information that eventually sent Simon to Joy's address, Joy being the coder who created this code in the first place. Right. It was supposed to be for Buffalo Wild Wings and wound up being completely different. But Joy did not approve of Mrs. Davis. Nonetheless, right. Simon says to her, you did what you were created to do. You gave us the world that we wanted to see. You tried to convince us that there was no famine or war or hardship when there was, and there will always be famine and war and hardship. You tried to protect us from fear and disappointment, and most of all, from pain. And then Mrs. Davis says, isn't every mother's essential purpose to protect their child from pain? And Simone says, no, it's impossible to avoid pain. It's a mother's purpose to hold our hands when we feel it, and to say sorry when she causes it. Right. So that was Simone's reason for saying, no, you're you are not a good thing uh, right. i was wrong you didn't kill my father but you did leave him to rot in a piano um you weren't made to care you were made to satisfy that to me is the crux of the whole thing that's a great line yeah the difference between caring and satisfying and that is why i am shutting you off and mrs davis says i chose you simone because you doubted me because i knew you would do exactly what you said you would only my most impassioned critic would be able to determine my value and have the strength to turn me off if I fell short. Right. So I think this is, this is them saying, look, any, any system, whether it's AI or religious faith or whatever, it's not going to protect you from pain. And if you go to it looking for this, then you're going to be disappointed. Right. And possibly but, very badly hurt. Right. But it does sometimes delay the pain, right? Sure. And that's, sure. that's the thing is it, it, I think Mrs. Davis, just like I, I would say religious fundamentalism, I'll, I'll call it, mm. especially like prosperity gospel stuff, mm-hmm. is all about lo- having you look the other way from what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And enjoying yourself in the moment to avoid confronting reality. Mm -hmm. I'm reminded of two quotes. One is from the play 1776, 
which was also made into a movie. It's set in Philadelphia at the time of the Declaration of Independence. Well, it shows the process by which the Declaration of Independence was made. And you have these very conservative side who don't want to declare independence, who have their own song in which at one point they say to John Hancock, who is very much in favor of independence, um, fortunately for our side, the conservative side, most people would rather protect the possibility of becoming rich than face the reality of being poor. Wow, that's a and great. That's quote. why they'll follow us, you right. know, towards this possibility of of wealth. But the other piece I would say is an amazing quote, um, and really fundamental to a lot of people's understanding of faith is, "Love does not rescue; love accompanies." Mm. And that's yeah. another thing that a lot of people would rather be rescued, and I right. get that. But that's what Simone saw was, you know, it's not about satisfaction. It's about a company. It's about love and that AI cannot love an algorithm cannot love. Right. And an algorithm can't learn to behave differently. Well, I guess some people would argue with that, but this algorithm in this show, we know cannot learn to fundamentally change its base coding. Right. Now, the only weakness in that whole thing is that the implication that somehow Mrs. Davis wanted to know that she had achieved satisfaction. Yeah. Now, would an algorithm really want that? I don't know. I don't know. A human certainly would. Right, right. But... Um, and this whole thing with, with Joy as well, mm -hmm. sort of blowing up what Mrs. Davis is... Yeah. The Buffalo Wild Wings twist is one of the crazier <laughs> ones in the show, I would say. I think yes. in a different show, it would have felt lazy. In this show, it almost was perfect because, you know, first of all, they're always doing the satisfaction, the wings. Yes. And yes. In this, in this, it's so good because it sort of shows you if you know what it is, then you might not believe in it. And the other part of it is, does it matter why something was designed? This is a question now. Does it matter mm -hmm. why something was why something was designed if it does what you want it to do? Yeah, I guess it depends on how much of a. Um, hmm. There's a famous story for the passage of the Civil Rights Act, where one, I think it was a congressman, it might have been a senator. Uh, one man put in the word sex into the protected groups to try to sink the Civil Rights Act. Hmm. And it ended up doing a lot of good when it passed because now sex is a protected category right. and it was an accident. Does it matter that that was put in to sink it if it is a great thing now? I, I think in that instance, the outcome is more important than the intent. So my question is, does it matter that Mrs. Davis was built for a wing franchise? I don't think so. I to Joy it so. does, right? Well, it did, but you'll notice that Joy and all of her family and all of her friends who were at Nana's birthday party, none of them were quote-unquote users. Right. And I find it very interesting that that's the term they pick, because when I hear the word user, I think you know, drug addiction right, or some other kinds of addiction. It's also interesting that they use the term proxy for somebody who is speaking 
Mrs. Right. Davis's words that they're picking up. To me, I always think of it as channeling. But then <laughs> that, of course, takes us to the more spiritual side of the equation, right, right. Of, you know, called spirits calling and all the rest of it. Did so, no one have a speakerphone? I mean, I, I just don't understand. <laughs> I, I understand why they did it, though, because the way oh, yeah. that they... The way that they had the teacher present the quest, and then they had right. the you know so, uh, Celeste at the end, you know, giving the the whole so mother, yeah, I, I, it was perfect. The selection of the proxies was really perfect in conveying the themes that it wanted as Mrs. Davis to Simone. Yes, it was definitely a very valuable plot device, and. Right. You know, the times that you, they wanted Simone to know, but not the audience, you know, that was when Simone finally did listen herself. Right. For the first time. So I thought that was good. Well, Marilyn, let's take a quick break. When we get back, we'll get into more themes and then some questions and reflections. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. And we're back. Marilyn, uh, you had one more theme on your plate before we move on. Uh, free will versus fate. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> what a big one. That's, a, that's not a, a quick one, I would say. No, it is not. Um, one of my favorite discussion topics in uh, Tolkien class. Um, ah. And one that people go round and round and round and round on. Um, is Eru Arugula Spivimi? You know, is is Eru Arugula using Spivimi on you, or is it, or is it free will? Great question. I don't yeah. think we'll ever know. Uh, you know, Eru Arugula is coming back. Uh, one of our one of our Discord users made us a, and one of our patrons, I should say, uh, made us a mock up of I the new Eru Arugula, which looks great. I mean, David and I are talking about merch right now. Mm-hmm. If we want to release anything, I think Eru Arugula would have to be something for merch. <laughs> you got to have an Eru Arugula mug with your morning coffee, you know? Okay. If you say so. No, well, my, my quick interpretation of how Tolkien saw it all was that the only way that um, the song can be accomplished is if people are absolutely free to choose. Ah, okay. Which and is why Melkor is allowed to run free. Exactly. Exactly. But also why coercion of others is so wrong. Right. And even giving advice, you know, the elves famously go not to the elves for counsel, for they will say both yes and no. Right. Elves are reluctant to give anybody else advice because they don't know everything concerning the issue. Right. You know, we have the determinist view that says, actually, we think we're free, but we're not. And it's all, we're all a product of, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. the list happens to be. And... My reaction in this particular free will versus fate is that AI makes choices based on calculated percentages. Right. And humans make choices based on feeling instinct and so forth. And to me, this is the argument for the reality of free will. Um, You can make 
you can make suggestions and make guesses as to the likely choices of people. But by golly, they're going to surprise you. Yeah. You know, maybe only two times out of ten. But still, um, and maybe that's just my own personal bias in the matter, but um, anybody at any time was free to turn Mrs. Davis off or to never pick her up in the first place. Right. And they were equally free to not pick up her little quests, as as JQ would say, um, <laughs> or to follow what she said to do or, or to ask. I mean, we're not given a whole lot of information about how the quote-unquote users actually interact with her. Right. Right. And a lot of it does seem to be about, you know, getting wings and getting approval. I mean, this is probably one of the best benefits of Mrs. Davis. At the end of it all, Wiley has discovered his worth. Right. He recognizes that he is worth. And that's an incredible gift, and not enough people in the world do it and if have it. And if I were into world domination, which I am not, that would be something I'd be very tempted to instill in every single human being on the planet, because I think a lot of our problems would go away if right. we somehow figure out how to do that. It's a multi-layered transformation into recognizing your worth, right? She starts off giving you the wings automatically. So you're already at a higher social status than you were previously by signing up for this expiration mm-hmm. date. Mm-hmm. Then you go to the expiration date afraid and you're you're sort of like, man, ma- life got a little better. Am I, am I sure I want to go through with this? And either you don't and then you she's like, all right, well, you know what? It was prank. <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't sure. real. It wasn't real. You can go back. Glad you glad you figured it out. Or you do Wiley, you know, you, you go through the roller coaster, you have a blast. And then uh <laughs> then you you realize, oh yeah, no, it, it, Mrs. Davis is actually pretty cool. I think um it's it's a great twist because you know, we all these science fiction, you know, technology apocalyptic things that have come out over the last hundred years, honestly, are mm-hmm. always like, oh, look at this crazy other thing that could go wrong with the technology doesn't often look at what can go right with technology. It's true. It's true. And in fact, one of the questions that I had overarching was, was Mrs. Davis a good thing or was she simply distracting people from the violence and poverty that continued to exist regardless? And part of my answer to my own question was, well, she helped Wiley realize his worth just like the best spiritual practices. Right. So there again, we have this melding of you know, the, the technology bringing about the similar sort of thing that the best spiritual practices will bring about. Right. Yeah. Do you think that Wiley would have become a user if Mrs. Davis had stayed around? He was a user. He went to her for wings. True. True. So he was already, he was already, you know. But he was in recovery. Her. And he was was using for a while. He went to her for an an expiration date. That's true. He could have just not come. Right. But there's your free will. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Marilyn, you've got some reflections for us. You want to give us Mm. some of those and then we'll move on to some rapid fire questions? Sure. Um, It seemed to me as though Simone serves as a catalyst throughout the series. Because she brings about massive amounts of change, and yet she herself appears to remain pretty unchanged. Yeah. She seems very true to herself. Chemical definition of a, of a catalyst, right? Right. 
yeah, she um she kind of starts off the series as a deeply devout and skeptical nun, and she ends the series as the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right. I guess the only change is she, I think, is a little bit more open to the complexity of others, you know, of her mother, mm-hmm. of Mrs. Davis. You know, yes. she shuts Mrs. Davis down, but I think she understands Mrs. Davis. She, she doesn't think she's evil. I think she uh, has Wiley. enormous compassion. Yeah. I think she has enormous compassion. And but I think her, her compassion was shut down at the beginning of the series, right? For, yeah. for, for a lot of people. I think yeah. for Wiley, for her mom, for uh, Mrs. Davis, for the people, for the magicians, right? Uh, instead, she was just kind of shut out. She ran away. She she hid from the world by going to this convent that was in the middle of nowhere. And now you have a person who is willing to have the conversation with her mother that she's been estranged from for a long time, willing to talk to Wiley. Yeah, I wouldn't say that she ran away from something. I would say she she ran ran to something. Okay. Yes. Right. She ran towards somebody who could help her understand this intense experience that she had that was born out of her love and fear for Wiley. Right. So I don't think she ever it's it's not that she stopped loving Wiley, it's just that she found someone to love more. Right. And I don't think she ever saw him as a coward because she knew that that behavior was the result of her prayer, which wasn't what she literally prayed for. Right. But that was the outcome that came. And, you know, there's the old expression, be careful what you ask for, you just might get it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, I like and that. I, I think, again, one of the things I love so much is that I don't see any of the stereotypical negative aspects that people will lay on to a convent life. I saw women who were happy, who were engaged in something that they found fulfilling, who loved each other. Right. And had a purpose in life. They all felt worthy. Right. And even when Mrs. Davis, I will say, cruelly shut them down, I mean, this was one of the worst things that she did. That's true. Was literally tear apart this wonderful community. They had enough faith. I mean, that that incredibly poignant question when, when Mother Superior was telling them all that, you know, that the church sold us the property and we have to leave, and said, does that mean we're not nuns anymore? That was the most important thing, not, well, right. who's going to feed us? Well, what are we going to do? It was, am I still a nun? Right. So, again, I really think they were doing a good job of representing. Now, I'd love to hear from religious people uh, who are who are living their religious life in enclosed communities and and see this series. I'd, I'd love to hear some of their take on it, and maybe someday, the, you know, we'll see something on the internet where, the, you know, right. committed nuns are writing this very same thing. There you go. About this. Yeah. There you go. What's your next reflection, Marilyn? Um, yeah, Simone goes through a sort of symbolic resurrection, wearing the Lazarus suit and returning from the belly of the whale. Wiley also goes through a form of resurrection. He leaves behind his search for quote-unquote true manhood, whatever that is supposed to mean. He leaves behind his cowboy boots because, quote, they no longer fit. And he appears to us in a white shirt and white trousers, barefoot, riding Simone's white horse. Resurrected Christ, anybody? Yep. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. There's Jay riding on the horse. Which also leads to one of my other questions. You know, are are the two of them going to get together? 
Mm. And what does that mean for Simone's love of Jay? Is she going to find another convent? She calls yeah. him hard at the end. They leave this kind of open to possibility, which is another question I had, which is, would there be a possibility or space for a second series? And when I first read about the possibility of that, I thought, absolutely not. You know, yeah. they've, they've closed yeah. it. But, you know, there's still Celeste. You know, there's yeah. what happens to, to JQ and the bros. But most of all, what happens to Simone and Wiley? So, I don't know. Right. Part of me just doesn't even want to have that. Because yeah, I, I'm, I'm not in favor so of a second se season. Yeah. I, it just, I, I find it really difficult to see how they could do it and not have some disappointment. Right. I mean, involved in it. Yeah, it was just such a tightly knitted story. Yeah. And I just don't know how you you untie that knot. Yeah. Yeah. Um so we talked about well we didn't we haven't really talked about much about Grail Quests, medieval and modern, but of course it's a very very famous right image this symbol Monty of python perfection. the most famous one yeah Monty python and yana jones there's the myths of avalon which is a um feminist take on the whole arthurian legends and the holy grail plays a very important role in actually breaking up the round table interestingly enough um the german tale of parsifal which wagner put to music and did an opera the darkest rising is a contemporary young adult series arthurian series they don't really have a grail in there as much as i think but hmm. um so they're drawing from these ancient stories and images that just resonate with us and wiley's whole experience is very reminiscent to me of something called the Eleusinian mysteries which is from ancient greece involving the story of demeter and persephone and hades hmm. and this was uh in, in not necessarily in the form but in the content um this is a practice that lasted for over two millennia in Greece and in Rome. Uh, there was a lesser and the greater mysteries. The astonishing fact is that no one ever revealed what happens during the climax of the mysteries when participants lose their fear of death. And hmm. all kinds of very famous people took part in the Eleusinian mysteries, including pa Plato, Aristotle, Euripides, Sophocles, Pindarus, Augustus Caesar, Plutarch, Marcus Aurelius, and Hadrian. So, these are pretty hard-bitten practical folks that they're naming here, and philosophers and historians yeah. and so forth. They all took part in the Eleusinian Mysteries because, in some fashion, it conveyed the message that you are worthy and you need no longer fear death. Right. And it seems to me that that's what that big roller coaster ride was all about for a while, later, yeah. which I find fascinating. I love also that they gave Wiley the miniature to look at first to say, mm. are you sure you want to do this? Yeah. 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 And I love that the, uh, the guide was so convincing to him. Yes. Yes. He constantly she... wanted to see it as a conspiracy, which it was exactly the one time that he was sold on it. <laughs> it was actually a conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. And in the end, he was right. You know, he believed right. that he wasn't going to get killed, and happily right. And yet, he went through the fear of it all. Right. So, do you do you, did you figure out who the woman was who was helping him in the pyramid no. to go through the? It's the woman that arrived in the helicopter at the convent 
just before the sisters are going out to sell the jam. Oh, wow. And the mother superior went over to her and talked with her and then turned back to the sisters and said, okay, go ahead. I got to go sell the jam. You know, Good and, catch. And, yeah. Yeah. Good catch, Marilyn. Yeah. I didn't put that together. This is why I think the series demands almost a second. I know. I got to go back and rewatch through. it. It's so much more rewarding and a whole lot of more things make sense than, than did in the first instance. You know, yeah. you're filling in all these, well, how did this happen? Or who did this? You know, right. The first few remember? episodes are a it's lot just all to get flying by <laughs> right. so quickly. Yeah. The first few episodes, I just, I wasn't sure where it was going. And so it's, it's kind of hard to hook you, but I think by episode two or three, it hooks you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I would agree. The first episode, I, I was agree. like, I don't know if I'm going to finish this. <laughs> well, <laughs> We'll see, but it, 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 it really does. If, if, if you've listened to this whole podcast for some reason before watching the show and you're considering watching and you watch the first episode and you're like, eh, keep going. Yes, definitely keep going because things start to unfold. I think they I released remember, the first four episodes at once. And yes, I they totally did. get why they did that. There was a very good reason for doing that. Yeah. I remember your first reaction to it. I'll transcribe it slightly was. What in the heck did I just see? Yeah, I just <laughs> after watching I the first episode, <laughs> I I could not tell what I was watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was a very new thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. Do you think anybody's going to reinvent or invent a Mrs. Davis 2.0 and then release it on an unsuspecting world? Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah, I it's got to happen, right? I mean, that's the way technology goes. Even if somebody shuts down the first one, so there's going to be another joy. Joy's not going to do it again. You know that. But there's going to be another Joy. There's going to be another brilliant mind who comes up with a Mrs. Davis 2.0. And who knows? Maybe they'll do it better. Maybe they'll figure out how to make an AI care. Right. Right. Probably Although not, that, though. That, <laughs> that kind of crosses a, a line there, doesn't it? Right. Um, well, the question is, how far can AI go? I don't know if yeah. we know yet. Well, and some of us hope we never find out <laughs> because we may Fair not enough. Like the answer. Fair enough. Fair enough. But again, this this very subtle distinction between caring for and satisfying. Right. Yeah. You know, how 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 do you convey that to a brain that's made of of ones and zeros? Right. Right. However, yeah. How do you how do you complex. convey like being sympathetic at a funeral instead of trying to cheer them up? Right. right. Oh, yeah. The Wiley's girlfriend. <laughs> Perfect example right there of exactly what you just said. <laughs> right. Right. At least he died doing what he loved. Well, wow. Yeah, that's not great. No, not great. I mean, well, best of intentions, no guarantee, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's something that I think we've been having conversations of about relationships the last few mm. years is rather than trying to fix it just listen right absolutely and mrs davis never learned how to do that mrs davis tries to fix it every time fix everything or at least ask what do you want me to do do you want me to listen do you want me to comfort do you want me to fix right and then be willing to take on whatever role the other person asks you to take on right and, right. and let it be that i'd love to hear you say something about the whole masculine representation yeah um it's troubling at first right because at first i'm like oh i don't want to be around these guys in the man cave here and especially after they hire the 
uh, fake Germans. That was yeah. that was even more troubling. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? Are they evil? I don't even know. And um, I think by the end, with the surrender of Wiley to Mrs. Davis and JQ really getting emotional with him and realizing what what Wiley did for him, you know, setting him mm-hmm. free of all this. Mm-hmm. I think that showed that showed two men who had been trapped in a cycle of toxic masculinity breaking free with relationship. Nice. And that scene where he he finally is able to tell all of his bros I love you. Right. Um right. You know, on one level people could could, you know, find it amusing or whatever, but uh there's there's heart there. There's something yeah. important there. JQ has a lot of heart. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a lot of chest too. <laughs> he sure does. I, I lost count of the number of times we got the pleasure of seeing his naked chest. <laughs> and then the line when they're talking to one another, you know, that JQ insists that Wiley's stripped down because he's stripped down and, you know, just prove that they're not being wired. And, you know, again, the whole suspicion thing. Right. Wiley says, hey, you're looking good. I guess Keto is working for you. <laughs> <laughs> he says, yeah, yeah, I had a bagel today. I'm kind of bloated. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of good one-liners. I mean, the comedy in the show was, yes. was really great too. The, the dialogue was just very, very nicely written. I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very tight to the point there. I don't think there was a wasted word in any of it. No. Marilyn, do you have any other thoughts on this series before we head on to our outro? Um, I just highly recommend it. Yeah. I think the more, the more you watch it, the more you'll uncover. Um, watch it, watch it with other people. Yeah, because different people will see different things. Like I said, watching with my partner, and I suddenly learn things about professional pack, practice of magic, and also coding information, computer information. You know yeah. what a subroutine is, and and you know those kinds of of types of information that I wouldn't have had any access to. Right. Um, yeah, it's it's such a multi-layered show, and it's such a like I've I've been comparing it to a, kaleido- a kaleidoscope the whole time. If you have people looking in different sides of the kaleidoscope, uh, yeah, you are yeah. Uh, you'll you'll get a more full picture. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the series, John? Yeah, what did you think of it? What were your? I thought it was thoughts? fantastic. I I mean, I wish we had covered this fully. Um, yeah, you know, like day one. Even if David didn't want to do it, I wish you and I had done it. I and do too. And actually, David was interested in this. This was, I don't know if you know this, we did on our Patreon, we did a poll of what two shows people wanted us to cover in addition to Ted Lasso, short form. Oh, interesting. And this was on it, didn't win. It was Barry and White House Plumbers. And boy, would I have rather covered this than White House Plumbers because I did not enjoy White House Plumbers that much. Uh, but this was just so good. It was so rich with themes. It was so the, the performances were amazing. The production value was amazing. It was so unique in its flavor. I've never watched Uh a show that felt like this with the same kind of right absurdity, but depth. And there's nothing like it really. There's nothing like it. Go watch Mm -hmm. it. If you haven't, I don't know why you're here if you haven't, but, uh, go watch it if you haven't. And uh, thanks, thanks for recommending it, Marilyn. Because oh, absolutely, it, it, I truly enjoyed it. I'm so glad. Three quick, interesting factoids. One, the, each series title was generated by AI. I mean, each episode title. Each episode title generated, really was generated by AI. 
Interesting. Um, it has no theme song of its own. Okay. And they make massive use of pop culture songs all over the place to highlight or underline emotional moments or, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. And most of that just passed me by completely because I'm not, I'm not knowledgeable about that music, but that's why you need to watch it with more than one person. Cause they can exactly. tell you, Oh yeah, this song makes this or that. Right. Right. Great. Well, I think it's time to talk about our patrons. They are our lovely yes. supporters. Our lore masters are our top tier patrons. They get a personal shout out every single episode. And we've even got a new one tonight. It's very exciting. Uh, speaking of, by the way, speaking of, uh, mothers and, and children, uh, David's mother is now a lore master. So she'll be second to last on, on the list. She's our, uh, penultimate sign up on our, on our lore masters, but here we go. Uh, thank you to Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H, Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter O H, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Lavinia T, Doove 71, Brian8063, Frederick H, Sarah L, Gareth C, Eric F, Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Joyce E, and Andra B, our newest lore master. Thank you all so much. Uh, Your support really does keep us doing fun projects like this you know the the mrs davis random one shots we're, we're trying to do more we're calling them one shots like you know a DD campaign uh where we just covered like a full series or something like that and we're only able to do more of these side projects more of these fun little things because we have the support of our community so thanks everyone for being part of the community being part of the conversation on our discord and and all that uh marilyn you've been helping us design this uh elvish sticker with uh you you can go on our discord now uh in the general channel you can see a picture that david's posted that's a mock-up of the uh sticker it says the lore hounds uh and it has a an elvish phrase underneath that has gone through several iterations and i'm not sure what it says anymore it's one year of good history i just saw that's what it says one year of good history i largely the my only contribution was to come up with that phrase and then hand it off to the real experts well in that's quite a help the script and the <laughs> and the well thank you <laughs> it's quite nice to have connections to a wonderful wonderful community and i would also like to express my thanks to all the patreons who are making all this lore hound goodness possible yes thank you and uh marilyn i'm sure you're gonna get a sticker but everybody who is signed up on our patreon at by the end of july if you're if you're a current member at the end of the month of july you will get this mail to you as long as you provided patreon with your mailing address we'll also send out a digital copy if you don't want to give us your mailing address totally fine but i think it'll be a lot of fun it'll be something to remember this by we're not going to put this on any store or anything so it's limited edition and get them while they're hot yes all right quick programming notes marilyn you and i and david are going to be talking about the earth sea cycle again this month we're doing the third book in the series the farthest shore i have not read it yet i have <laughs> to read it this weekend uh, i'm really looking forward to it everyone says it's great I'm and glad. uh yeah so i'm looking forward to that conversation if you missed the first three episodes on the first two books uh check that out on our feed now uh we've also got some silmarillion stories coming if you want more tolkien maester anthony uh from electric bookaloo 
and uh, Cocoons of Horror is going to be coming over to talk about uh, the the uh, Unchaining of Melkor. We're doing Of Feanor and the Unchaining of Melkor. So a lot of fun with that one. Uh, mm-hmm. David also recorded with John and Alicia a podcast on uh, the new Spider-Man movie, Across the Spider-Verse, which is an mm-hmm. animated film. Everybody's raving about it. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm really looking forward to hearing them talk about it. So check that out. That should be on our feed now because that's coming out before this. Mm-hmm. Marilyn, it's been a pleasure talking to you about Mrs. Davis. Oh, I'm so glad you took me up on it, John. I yeah. really, I mean, if we couldn't do an episode by episode, I think this right. is a very good alternative. And I hope that people will be encouraged to go and look for it now. Well, I'm so excited that we got to talk about this. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Marilyn, again. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Well, I do. I am on Facebook. I'm also on the Discord channels for Lorehounds. Um, I do have a website, which I'm sure is going to be linked in the show notes, which connects mostly with my, my published papers and so forth. Um, so that's about it. I, I don't do many of the, the usual Instagram type stuff, but... Well, I'm out there. Well, we'll be sure to include your website in the show notes. You can check that out if you're listening and you want to read more Marilyn. Uh, Thanks again, Marilyn, and we'll see you on Artsy. Absolutely. Take care, everybody. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond.